0: You're you're, you're listening to the podcast for all of the news, notes, and breakdowns for your Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Sons of the Shoe with Nick Wilson and Spencer German. Sons of the Shoe rides again. Nick Wilson, Spencer German here with the latest at Ohio State. We have more staff news coming out of Columbus. We have the the, the it's the fifth Beatle, the 10th member of the coaching staff which officially been announced there was a nasty bit of rumor surrounding that now 10th assistant in Columbus oh yeah uh I don't know if you guys know this a lot of people still saying a lot of things and a lot of panicky things about the state of college football but we're gonna start the show with a guest Spencer by the way how you doing buddy
1: I'm good uh it was a little weird doing the show without you earlier this week but um I think we had some good conversations, and I'm actually excited to not not repeat the conversations, but get your perspective on some of the conversations that I had on Tuesdays, or on Wednesday, rather. So it should be fun.
0: I'm ready for that, but in the meantime, we got to welcome on a a guy who wrote a hell of a story on incoming, potentially, AD for Ohio State, Ross Bjork, and some of the allegations that have followed him from his uh, first major Power 5 job at Ole Miss, then to Texas A&M, and that now inevitably fall at the doorstep of uh, the beloved Ohio State, and he is Ohio State football beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch, Bill Rabinowitz. Bill, welcome to the show. Nice to be on with you guys. How are you? Well, um, I gotta say, we have we have debated about this Ross Bjork hire multiple times, and we've even debated how much does the AD matter now, or how has the AD job changed. So when your when your piece came out, I think it's the first Columbus-based piece that really gets into why this has become a controversial hire. So kudos on kicking ass on the piece. And the second thing is really like. Can you just kind of encapsulate without giving away everything in your wonderful story that people can find on the Columbus Dispatch? Can you encapsulate kind of the criticisms at Ole Miss and then the criticisms at AM?
2: Yeah. Um Yeah, my story was really just about Ole Miss. I didn't really get into the AM stuff. Um, stuff. We're going to, you know, get into that. Not well. We're, as a paper, we're going to get into that also. Um, you know, that that one was probably just more of a very very bad misjudgment extending Jimbo Fisher's contract and then not having a, a clause in the And the contract that would get them out of paying the full amount. But what happened at Ole Miss was, in some ways, fairly simple. Um, You know, Ole Miss has always kind of been in the shadows of Alabama and LSU. And, you know, they've always wanted to be a major program. They hire Hugh Freeze um, to replace Houston Nutt. And then there are these rumors of allegations, or even more than rumors, people, some reporters, you know, had pretty much had it. And this... It kind of came to a head in 2016, right around signing day is when this kind of hit. And they were all, you know, understandably panicked about losing this banner recruiting class that they had coming in. I mean, it was like an unprecedented class for Ole Miss. And so according to the people that I talked to, and Ross Bjork has denied this, and the ex-chancellor who I talked to also denied it, um, believe that he that Ross Bjork either told or directed others to lie, mislead, pick your pick your verb um, to tell recruits and reporters that this was all happened under the previous coach, Coach Houston Nutt, not under Hugh Freeze, which means that whatever penalties they would get probably would be not as bad because it wasn't the current regime. So, according to the people I talked to, there was this kind of this plan to say, don't worry about it, all's, all's fine, you know, the, the Kevin Bacon character in Animal House, don't worry, all is well, and <laughs> and there, there there was real cause, I mean, most of the infractions did take place under Hugh Freeze, and, and the reporters, you know, felt duped, um, the recruits or at least their fathers felt like, wait a minute here, you know, we were told one thing and it's the other, and they should have known, and they probably did know. Um, There is some question about the timing of it and what what Ole Miss knew and when. Um, But I also know that when there is an NCAA investigation, they don't keep it a secret from the school. They want the school's cooperation. So long before the notice of allegations ever sees the light of day, the school has a pretty good clue what's what's going on.
1: Bill, um, something you wrote about in your piece that I I thought was interesting and just kind of projecting, I guess, into the future at Ohio State was that – you know Ross talked about how he feels his expe- his past experiences particularly at Ole Miss where where that was kind of the first time he dealt with something like that where where he had these NCA violations against him and in the the program that he was helping oversee as AD um and how that kind of has has prepared him now for almost anything that could come his way as he as he comes to Ohio State and takes this job do you think there's room for some latitude here in terms of believing that he has learned from that previous experience and that if he was faced with something similar now that he's changed in the way that he would maybe approach it and, and go about that situation.
2: I, mean, I hope so. I think people can change and learn and grow. So, uh, I mean, he's a smart guy. Uh, you know, if you meet him, he, he's, um, you know, it kind of comes out of central casting. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a nice looking guy. He's got a firm handshake. I mean, you know, he's, he's a very good at fundraising. Um, he's, you know, I, yeah. Do I think, look, I think anyone can learn and I'm sure he kind of felt like he was thrown in the deep end. He was, he did not hire Hugh freeze. He inherited Hugh freeze. He probably tried to make the best of a, of a tough situation. There was a lot of, uh, I think they went through three chancellors in the time that he was at Ole Miss. So he kind of had to be the guy because he was the, the guy who'd been there the longest. So he kind of got thrown into the deep end. Um, now, the, the, the quote, I don't have that story in front of me, but I think the quote from the Ohio State president was, it was a Navy background, said, uh, a, a calm sea never produced a good sailor. And, and kind of the premise of the story was, well, did he cause, the, did he cause that, that rough sea? Um, and so it's an open question. You know, I do know that there are a lot of people that question the hire, that knew about his history at Ole Miss, knew about his history at Texas A&M, and were like, you know, this is what they, this is the best they could get. You know, there were, there were proteges under, of Gene Smith that people thought would be strong candidates, Pat Shun at Washington State, Martin Jarman at UCLA. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that Ted Carter, the new president of Ohio State, wanted his own guy. And I mean, that's what I've been told. Um, I don't know that Ted Carter didn't, didn't directly answer that. I've not talked to him about that. So I don't know. But it, it was a it was a surprising hire. I'll put it that way.
0: I'm I'm just curious. You know, you mentioned in the piece that he still has to be formally approved on. I think it was February 22nd. Yeah. Um, as these things continue to come out, is there any sense whether Ohio State could get cold feet? Because, I mean, the allegations here are pretty damning, and. It's, it's kind of the thing that at a school like Ohio state would be something that would tarnish a pretty well-crafted image under Gene Smith and under what they've done with their coaches in in all sports the last, you know, 30 years.
2: You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't cover that part of Ohio state. I mean, our reporter who does, um, I've not talked to her like since, uh, today at least, or, you know, since early yesterday, um, she we have not heard anything from Ohio State, which I take as a compliment, because if there was something inaccurate with the story, I'm sure they would they would have voiced that. Um I I don't know. And I don't have an agenda. You know, it's not my place to say they should hire or not hire this guy. And it's I just try to write the story, the best story I can write, the most accurate story I can write and let the chips fall where they may. I, I don't I don't have a, a horse in this race. I don't know. You know, I mean, generally speaking, Ohio State's Board of Trustees is a rubber stamp for the president. I mean, they—it's not typical for them to kind of go against what the president wants. Um, so I think it would have to—it would take something pretty strong for that to happen. Whether this story or anything else that might come out—is that I—I'm I, not the person to ask.
1: Bill, I feel like from our perspective, it, it, I think it's hard to just when you're not around the program or around Ohio State athletics every day or part of that that world to like really assess, like, what does this AD bring to the table? Like, you're kind of just basing it off of some things that you wrote about, like what happened at Ole Miss, what happened at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, like that type of stuff. So from our perspective, it, it feels to me like the the fundraising piece, and, and I know that's such a valuable thing for for ADs to be able to do nowadays anyway, but it seems like that was maybe the big piece as to why they liked Ross Bjork, do you get the sense that that's true that that this was maybe on top of it being kind of a, well, I want to bring in my own guy. It also sort of just pointing to, we think this guy could really do us wonders in this NIL era, especially with the fundraising side of things.
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think the number one job of of an athletic director is, is fundraising. It's kind of like the number one job of a football coach is recruiting. I mean, yes. And he is a very good recruiter or a very, I'm sorry, very good fundraiser. Um, you know, but the but like Texas A&M, for example, I mean, there's a lot of money uh, in Texas, you know, oil money yes. and all that stuff. It's not, it's not that hard. But what I've been told by several people is that you get him in a room with kind of a, the fat cat donors, and he's really good, that he's very charming and very persuasive. And um, hey, that's that's a big part of the job. Gene Smith is like that. I mean, Gene yeah. Smith is a schmoozer. That's part of the job. <laughs> and uh, but, you know, there are ways to go about it that, uh, I mean, Gene Smith, I don't think anyone, well, Gene Smith has his critics, but by and large, I think people think that Gene Smith acts above board, that he has, uh, you know, certainly has a very good reputation. You know, Ross Bjork's going to have to prove that, and only time will tell. I I, I don't know him well. You know, I, I will give him credit for talking to me for this story. A lot of people would have just said, no comment, It's it's 10 years ago. I'm not even going to touch it. Why are you even bothering? He never questioned why I'm doing, why I did the story, the right of us to do the story, you know, so I give him credit for that. And yeah, there were some things he didn't want to answer and and fine. I didn't expect him to answer everything, but he did answer almost everything that I asked him, you know, with uh, thoughtful answers. And, and, you know, again, I'm not trying to say who's right or wrong here. I'm just trying to say, this is what, this is the best uh, the most accurate story I could come up with that I could write.
0: Bill, what's fascinating about the job that he inherits is uh, Ohio state now needs a men's basketball coach. There yeah. are several uh, parts of the, of the program that are, that are rolling right now, including women's college basketball, which, which might be in Cleveland here with us at the final four in just a little bit. So, uh, but then you look at, it football side of things and, there seems to be a feeling that this is a you know, boom or bust year in Columbus. And the bust is anything less than beating Michigan and, and contending for a national title. So how does the, the Ross hire jive with what is perceived to be a bleep or get off the pot moment for Ryan Day in Columbus?
2: Well, look, anytime a coach, is, uh, the AD is not the one who hired the coach, there isn't that kind of built-in loyalty. Having said that, I don't think I think what you said is absolutely true. If they don't beat Michigan and and make a, a long run in the in the playoff, and, and you know it's a 12 to playoff this year, which means at a minimum get to the semifinals, um, it'll be considered a, a disappointing season. And because you know, Michigan's going to be down, I mean, we expect Michigan to be down. I mean, they they lose so many people, and Ohio State is loaded. I mean, it, it, the change. In the way that people view Ohio State's 2024 team now compared to like right after the Cotton Bowl when they didn't have a, a proven quarterback and they looked like they might lose a bunch of people in the draft, blah, blah, blah. Um, they kept almost everybody. It was not realistic to keep Marvin Harrison Jr., but almost everybody else stayed. They have a quarterback. They got Caleb Downs out of the transfer portal, maybe the best player in the portal entirely, the safety from Alabama. Um, they got a center, Seth McLaughlin. They got a great running back, Ole Misses. There's Ole Miss, uh, Quinshon Judkins. I mean, they're loaded. Ohio State is loaded. They they and Oregon are clearly the two best teams in the Big Ten. Um, that's going to be an epic game in in Eugene. Um, yeah, it's it's all there for Ohio State this year. But they have they have to do it, and it'll be uh, fascinating. It'll be a lot of pressure on them, but they embrace that pressure.
1: Given that they've kind of added this pressure to themselves just with the moves they've made this offseason, what is almost like the the benchmark for Ryan Day? Obviously, beating Michigan, I think, is is an obvious one. If you lose to Michigan a fourth straight year, that's not going to go over well. But beyond that, like, do they have to win the national championship for this season to be considered a success and people to kind of still stay on board with him because they're so loaded? Um, or is it simply beat
2: Michigan and, and, and make some sort of a run in the playoff? Not. You know, look—it's it for for anyone to say national championship or bust—you're setting yourself up for disappointment. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about Ohio State. I, I say this all the time. S- since 1968, when they won the national title, they've won it twice since then, and they have always been not just good, but almost always great. That's how hard it is to win a national championship. Now they are—they are, they are star crossed to some degree. I mean, how many times in the last, you know? Several years, even you say, if this—I mean, if Noel Ruggles makes the kick and several other things in that Georgia game happen, you know they beat TCU, right? There's a national championship. Um, you know, in 2019, yeah, Joe Burrow's LSU would, team would have been a, a you know tough game, obviously. But you know, if not for some of the calls in the Clemson game, what would have happened that year? I mean, they've come so close. So to say, if you don't win a national championship, the season's a failure. It is—that's unfair. I will say, though, that beating Michigan, probably winning the Big Ten although Oregon is very good. And and at least getting to the semifinals in the in the playoff is I think that's the benchmark for what would keep the season from being a disappointment.
0: Bill, I think it's funny. Um, Bill O'Brien and the hire was was met with, uh, let's say, mixed reviews. There were people in in Columbus that loved it. There were uh, people that hated it. And then you get uh, Chip Kelly, who leaves to be the UCLA. Sorry, leaves the UCLA head coaching position to be the offensive coordinator here. And it's funny. Like I think some of what troubled people was just perception. And I hate when perception gets in the way of of what we think of a, a specific hire. Then I'm curious. Do you think that Chip Kelly is actually a better fit? Do you think Ohio State lucked into a better fit for what they want to do offensively? than the guy who spent 21 illustrious days in Columbus before uh, <laughs> skittering back to Boston.
2: Yeah, with O'Brien, I actually talked to the two Penn State quarterbacks he worked with. I thought it was a pretty good story. You know, talked to Christian Hackenberg and Matt McGloin. I was like, oh, good. I've got, you know, this insight into the next offensive coordinator, and it has gone. I was like, oh, well. Um, but, but to your point, um, well, the one huge advantage is familiarity. I mean, Chip Kelly is Ryan Ryan Day's mentor. I mean, they don't have to get to know each other. uh Bill O'Brien and Ryan Day didn't really know each other, and so that's one advantage. The other, obviously, is Chip Kelly's history and background. I mean, he's an offensive genius, although I hate to use that word. I'm using that in quotes. But look, and it's been a while, and that's the the question. It's been a while since he was at the cutting edge of of offenses when, when he was at Oregon and and the tempo and all that. But, you know, he is, I think Chip Kelly is maybe a better fit as an offensive quarter than a head coach because he doesn't like the, he doesn't like the schmoozing and the going to booster, you know, speeches and, and, and even really recruiting from what I've been told. Um, Now he can be the guy who scribbles plays on a napkin, which I think is, you know, what he loves to do. And you give him that, the X's and O's, and you give him Ohio State's talent, and you go, you know, there's the mad scientist, and what can he come up with for game plans? That'll be fun to watch. And Ryan Day knows that for the last couple of years, he's been stretched too thin, especially last year when he lost Kevin Wilson. He had nobody with real play-calling experience on the offensive side of the ball, and he knows in in an era with NIL and with the transfer portal where you gotta constantly, you know, manage the roster and make sure guys are not disgruntled. And and you gotta be a CEO. You can't be the guy scribbling plays on a napkin, you know, not very much, at least. And so for Ryan Day to get somebody that he knows is a kindred spirit and knows I don't have to question whether Chip Kelly knows what he's doing. Of course he does. That's that's gonna be huge. Um, but the dynamic of protege becomes boss. Who knows how that works out? I mean, I'm assuming they talked about it and they're fine with it, but, but that's that's not a dynamic that happens very often.
1: Is that part of the reason why maybe he picked Bill O'Brien initially first for the job? Like, why do you think he he kind of circled back to to choosing Chip Kelly instead of Bill O'Brien and hire Bill Bill O'Brien first?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, my guess is that he probably didn't think Chip Kelly was available. Chip Kelly was was the coach at UCLA, and he had. Uh, certainly been interested and there was interest from the NFL with him. And so I think he probably thought, well, you know, I don't know that that's that's likely to happen and Bill O'Brien is likely to happen. I don't know. I haven't, you know, I haven't asked Ryan day that he has not told me that, but uh, I, I do know that he is very excited to have Chip Kelly, that that people on the staff are very excited to have Chip Kelly. Uh, I think if I'm a defensive quarter in the big 10, I'm thinking, Oh no. (laughs) <laughs> because Chip Kelly is really bright when it comes to play calling and schemes and all that. And so you combine that with the talent that Ohio State's going to have. And I put it this way, Ohio State scored only like 30 points a game last year. I can pretty much guarantee they're going to average a lot more than 30 points next year.
1: Bill, one, one last thing for me um, in, in relation to the offensive coordinator situation, because I, I think when Bill O'Brien was hired, one of the biggest gripes from fans was, well, what, what are they going to do about Brian Hartline? He's got to hate this, and he's got to be so upset about this, and blah, blah, blah. Like, this is disrespectful. I, I, we've kind of said that we're assuming there was, there was conversations had with, uh, with Brian Hartline just about what was happening and why they were making this move where it wasn't going to ruffle his feathers. And I understand, like, he's super important to just that that they do at Ohio State. But what does a move like this mean for Brian Hartline? Is the hope that, that this becomes almost like a mentorship thing and he eventually can become a primary play caller? How do they kind of view him moving forward?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good assumption. Uh, you know, he didn't call the play last year. He, he had the title and he had the raise. He got the raise. Uh, but he didn't have – he didn't do what traditionally – offensive coordinators do which is call plays and so i'm i think that probably you know it's good to get a title it's good to get a raise um now he can get the the knowledge you know i don't know that ryan day had the time last year to to to, uh, to you know to give him to teach him all that stuff that's not that's no criticism of brian hardline he'd never been asked to do it he's still a very young coach and so the idea of of Brian Hartline being able to learn from Chip Kelly and, and Ryan day. I'm sure that's very attractive. You remember last year he was in demand or we thought he was in demand for some like, you know, big time jobs. And Ohio state had to make a move to keep him, And that would have been devastating to lose Brian Hartline because he's an, an, you know the best recruiter in the country, maybe certainly a wide receiver. I mean, the five-star after five-star Jeremiah Smith, the, the freshman uh, receiver from Florida is considered a generational talent, you know? And so, um, I'm sure it might be on some level disappointing to Brian Hartline. I don't know. I haven't talked to him, but I think if he takes the big picture and realizes what, how this can benefit him, it's it's nothing but a, a benefit, nothing but a plus.
0: So I we've kept you a little farther past when we wanted to. So I pro, I'm going to try and make these next two ones as quick as possible. James okay. Laurinaitis is the tenth coach on the yes. Ohio State staff. He's the new linebackers coach. There was a lot of debate about who was going to be that tenth coach. Why did it? End- being James, and who else was considered to your knowledge?
2: Yeah, I don't know that anyone else was considered. I think Laurinaitis, in a lot of ways, the natural fit. Obviously, he's a Buckeye, he's an All-American linebacker at Ohio State. He'd been on the staff for a couple of years. They they got him back from Notre Dame, where he's a graduate assistant. He essentially coached the linebackers last year. Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, I guess technically was the linebacker's coach, but he really delegated... As much as he could to James Laurinaitis last year, so in in that way it really is. It's I don't say it's a no brainer, but it, it, pretty close to it. I mean, they needed a tenth person. It was going to be on the defensive side of the ball. They needed they needed a linebackers coach, and who better than James Laurinaitis is already in the system and has has his history.
0: All right. And then the whole time I've been paying attention to your guitar in the background. Uh, Do we have a shredder on, do I mean, are you not just a a writing whiz? You're also Eddie Van Halen in your off time.
2: Uh, Maybe Eddie Van Halen now.
0: Um, I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) Too soon. Uh, No, I, I, I kind of, I'm like those, the guitars come from, from the books that I wrote. So I'm like the, I'm like the, uh, a golfer golfer can't hit at one hundred and fifty, but has the best clubs. I mean, I've got a Rick, and I've got great guitars. I mean, I, I, you know, no, I'm strictly like a rhythm guitarist, and and just bang around in, in the house for fun. And my wife likes it, and I think my dog likes it,
0: and you know, that's, well, that's I, all that matters. Yeah, <laughs> I have, I have a guitar. We've got an electric drum set, and and mostly. Uh, a lot of the instruments are for the kids to learn, but yeah. I like to keep them around as aspirations. Like one day I will pick you up and learn you. It just isn't today.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I started to play a couple of years ago. It's a long story I won't bore you with. I started to play the piano that we had sitting in our living room for 20 years, unplayed because I never played piano. And I, my wife said, you got to learn. I was like, oh, I don't know. but I, So I actually saw, self-taught on piano, wow. take Latin way. So when I play piano, I feel like I'm – i This is weird. I feel like I'm cheating on the guitars. (laughs) These are inanimate inanimate objects. Like if I play a bunch of piano, like, oh, the guitars are going to feel like I've I've neglected them. It's the stupidest thing you could ever think of.
0: Yeah, I I have my uncle who passed away about 15 years ago. I have his keyboard. Yeah, My girls just badly want to play it because it's cool right. and it's a nice keyboard and he was a really gifted uh, pianist. And I, I, every time I'm like, sure, wait, you know what? Maybe, maybe not right now. Maybe like in two weeks. Yeah. And I've been doing that. I mean, my oldest is 13. She's been asking since she was four. So one of these days I'll get around <laughs> to it. You're uh, never, so, never too late, right? bill you're the best man so sorry for keeping you past what we initially kind of planned there but you did a fantastic job great job on the ross bjork piece yeah it was awesome Um, really appreciate that man thank you so much thanks bill it's at dispatch.com if you want to read it thank you excellent all right guys when we come back we'll react to what bill had to say and spencer's going to play something for me to react to but first a word from our sponsors excellent